understand this, all unbelievers, every unbeliever, is controlled, is enslaved to the mindset of the age, and they are therefore blind to the truth. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever considered what God thinks about His own Word? To what extent can one trust the validity of the Bible? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part three of his series titled Trending Versus Truth, exploring the biblical response to various moral issues that are trending, including gender, sexuality, morality, and social justice issues. Many opponents of the Bible say that it is an outdated, harmful, human-created, and error-filled document. Well, today, Tom will present a few common expressions that this rejection of God's Word takes and how this rejection results in cultural deterioration. It's a call to close examination. Ask yourself, are there any areas in your own life where you reject the authority of God's Word, replacing it with your own, or by the cultural trends around you? Keep those things in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. If you were to decide that you wanted nothing to do with someone in your life, then you don't want to hear from them anymore. You unfriend them. You stop following them. You throw away their letters unread. Why? Because once you have rejected the person, you don't care what they think or say about anything. That's how our culture, having abandoned God, now responds to His words to us. So I want us to consider our culture's relentless efforts to silence the Scripture, which is really the second root cause that leads to all of the twisted moral views that are out there in our world. First of all, let's consider the cultural expressions. How is this trending? How does our culture's growing rejection of God's Word express itself? How is it demonstrated in the lives of the people around us? I'm going to give you a little list. I'm not going to develop these because I want to spend our time elsewhere, but I just want you to think about these common expressions that this rejection of God's Word takes. First of all, there is outright rejection, just rejection. There are those in our culture who have concluded that Scripture is an outdated human document with no legitimate authority, and therefore it is worthless or in some cases, they would even say, harmful. You can find these quotes online as people reject the Bible and talk about its complete unhelpfulness. Contrast that with what God says about His Word. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. If you want to reject the Scripture, you first have to say, I have a greater moral character, and I am more in tune with the truth than Jesus Christ of Nazareth, because what he said about the Scripture was exactly the opposite. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, 
He said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law, meaning the Old Testament, until all is accomplished. Countless times during his ministry, he quoted from what we call the Old Testament and said, this is God's word to us. He taught it with authority. And then, of course, he pre-authenticated the New Testament by picking those men who would write it on his behalf. And so Jesus says, the Bible is the Word of God. For you to conclude, or for anyone to conclude that it's not, you first have to say, I have a, a more profound moral character. I am more in tune with reality. I am more an authority than Jesus Christ. And there are sadly some who do that and reject the Scripture outright. A second cultural expression of this is contextualization. Contextualization. It's treating the meaning of Scripture as relative, relative to the individual and his circumstances or, or relative to the sort of corporate context in which that person lives. And in some cases, some would say it's even unknowable, postmoderns. And therefore, regardless of which of those tacks you take, it becomes uncertain. We just don't know. We certainly don't know anything that's true in all places and in all times. It's relative. That's contextualization. Compare that to Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's always God's word. It always means the same thing and always will in every place, in every time. A third cultural expression is marginalization. Marginalization. There are many in our culture who take this approach with Scripture. They still give some lip service to the Scripture, but they demote the Scripture solely to matters of personal faith and therefore reject it as a legitimate resource in public debate. In other words, there are a whole lot of people who say, listen, the Bible's fine. Yes, it's a helpful book. You, you do everything you want with the Bible in your own home and worship. You do everything you want with the Bible in your church, but keep the Bible out of discussions about anything on the public stage. They marginalize the Bible, push it into the corner. This is nothing more than an attack and a rejection of the Scripture itself. Compare their response to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, where David says the Scripture is comprehensively helpful in every possible area of life, and it is more valuable than gold. Constantly, the Old Testament prophets confront the nation of Israel with the fact that the real problems in the nation were this very thing. They had turned from and marginalized God's Word. A fourth cultural expression is reinterpretation. Reinterpretation, using contemporary viewpoints to interpret Scripture's meaning and therefore ignoring authorial intent. In other words, what they do is they say, yes, you know, the Bible is the Bible's a good book, but, but we need to read this book through our modern eyes, through the lens of our culture. They do, they do to the Bible what many do to the U.S. Constitution, and that is say, let's forget what the original authors meant. Let's, let's give it our own meaning. They do that with the Scripture. They reinterpret it to their own to their own destruction. There are biblical, quote-unquote, scholars that take this tack. Of course, politicians do it all the time, entertainment personalities, people online. What do they do? They don't say, let's trash the Bible. Instead, they, they cherry-pick these little 
quotes. They use the Bible like a quote book, but they're not even honest with the quotes. They take them out of their context, they twist them, and make them say what they want it to say. This has always been Satan's tact. He had the arrogance to try this approach on our Lord at his temptation. You remember, quoted the Bible to him, and Jesus corrected him in his reinterpretation of Scripture. A fifth expression of our culture's effort to silence the Scripture can be called dereliction. Dereliction. Discounting the value and importance of Scripture and therefore ignoring its authority and teaching. This isn't the person who says, I reject the Bible outright. This is the person who just turns his or her back on it, just ignores it. By the way, I chose the word dereliction. I almost chose a word like omission or inattention, but those words imply some degree of innocence or can. This is not innocent. Webster defines dereliction as deliberate or conscious neglect. That's what the culture has done with Scripture. It's not an accidental omission. It's deliberate and conscious neglect. It is an intentional abandonment. This is how people who don't want to have anything to do with God always respond to His words. In, in Psalm 50, verse 17, God says to the wicked people in the nation of Israel, you hate discipline. Therefore, you cast my words behind your back. A sixth and final cultural expression is substitution. Substitution. Trusting in other sources of authority for guidance on moral issues, and therefore replacing divine revelation with human reason. You see, when, when you reject the Scripture as the authority, you always replace it with another authority. Every single person, every one of you, every person in our world has an authority for the decisions they make. If you reject the Bible as that authority, you're going to replace the Bible with something else. Let me just point out for you very quickly the three most common replacement or substitute authorities behind our culture's moral views. How do they get there? They get there in one of three ways. One of three authorities. First of all, a consensus of human experts. A consensus of human experts. Literally, they search for those who are the experts, and they let those people determine morality. You see this all the time. You read news articles, you go online, and what do people do? They're quoting authorities. They're quoting experts. Now think about the ludicrousness of that. To define morality, they rely on fallen, depraved human beings who have been carefully indoctrinated for long periods of time by other fallen, depraved human beings. And that becomes the source of authority. Another replacement source of authority is the collective mindset of the age. This has become the new authority on the moral and ethical issues of our times. It's, it's democracy on steroids. Can you imagine the chutzpah to say, we get to vote not only on our representatives, but on what's true and right. And yet that's the very thing that's happening in our culture. Let's take a survey. How many Americans think this is okay? And my response is to that, who cares? Since when is morality a democratic decision? But that's where our culture is, the collective mindset of the age. A third replacement or substitute authority is their own mind. Their own mind. This is how most people make their moral decisions. Oh, they collect information. You know, they listen to their own experts, those that they like. 
They read their own websites, the ones they're drawn to. They go to the social media favorites they have, and they take all of that in, and they then make up their own mind. They become their own moral authority. It's like morality in a buffet line. You just kind of go through and say, I'll have some of that, and I'll have some of that, and I'll have a little of this. When you do that, what's the real authority? It's not even those people you're borrowing from. It's your own mind. You become the authority. I know what morality is, and I define it. Now look at that list. Rejection, contextualization, marginalization, reinterpretation, dereliction, that is deliberate neglect, and substitution. Folks, those are the most common expressions of our culture's rejection of God's Word. And make no mistake, those are rejections of God's Word. Let's consider a second insight then about our culture's efforts to silence the Scripture, and that is the spiritual foundations. What is the source of this? Where does this this antipathy toward the Scripture come from? Why would people who seem to have reasonable minds come to the Word of God that you and I have seen to be the light on everything, why would they come here and want to turn from it and reject it? That's a question you ought to ask. And the Scripture answers. There are several explanations the Scripture gives for our culture's efforts to silence the Scripture. You need to understand this. First of all, the first spiritual foundation, the first source of this is unbelievers have an inherited predisposition against the truth. Unbelievers have an inherited predisposition against the truth. This couldn't be clearer than in the words of our Lord in John chapter 8, verse 44. You can turn there if you like. John 8, verse 44, as he's talking to those who have not believed, he says this to them, you are of your father, the devil. Now stop there just a moment. That is an amazing statement by our Lord. He is saying every single human being who has not believed in the true God, has not believed in Christ, and come to know the true God is still connected to the devil. You are of your father, the devil. Every human being is born with ultimately the devil as his or her father. And you want to do the desires of your father. In other words, you, you want to do what your father does. You want to carry out what's important to him. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's why there, there's so much hatred and murder on this planet, because it's filled with people who are his children, and they have anger in their hearts, and some of them carry that anger out in murder. And notice the next phrase. This is so important. The devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks, notice this, from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you see what Jesus is saying? The father of every unbeliever is the devil. And the devil hates the truth. His children want to imitate him. They have his nature, and so they too hate the truth. There is an inherent predisposition against the truth in every unbeliever. Understand this. People are not seeking. They weren't born seeking God. They weren't born seeking the truth. 
No, there is an inherent predisposition against the truth. Secondly, the reason unbelievers don't turn to the Scripture and reject it is because unbelievers have a darkened mind about the truth. Unbelievers have a darkened mind about the truth. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this passage last week for a different reason. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, I, This I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you stop walking like pagans. Don't walk like you used to walk before you came to Christ. And he first describes them as walking or living in the futility of their mind. That's those worthless worldviews we talked about last week. Where do those worthless worldviews come from? Why would people that seem to be rational create those worthless worldviews and reject the truth of Scripture? Look at the next phrase. Being darkened in their understanding. That's where it comes from. Being darkened in their understanding. The word understanding here, the Greek word, includes the mind itself. It includes the product of the mind, the thoughts, and it even includes the process of thinking in the mind. So it, it's all encompassing. So the mind, the thoughts that come out of the mind, and even the process of thinking that leads to those thoughts, Paul says they're all darkened. Now that word can be a little misleading because you might be tempted to think about that little switch in your, in your dining room or your bedroom where there's a dimmer switch where you can dim the lights. You know, let's just, let's just dim it a little, down a couple of notches. Their, their understanding is, it's, it's a little dimmer than mine. That's not this word. If I could take you to Revelation, and I'm not going to take the time to do that, and show you how this word is used in other places, this word doesn't mean slightly dimmed. It means totally blacked out. It means the light is completely gone. So Paul is saying the unbelieving person's mind, their thoughts, and even their process of thinking is pitch black. There's no light. You say, wow, that, that seems a little over much for the people I know that are unbelievers. Well, let me just give you the other adjectives that Paul uses for unbelievers' minds. This was your mind before you came to Christ. Debased, hardened, blinded, futile, hostile, deluded, deceived, sensuous, depraved, corrupted, and defiled. That's what the New Testament says about unbelievers' minds and their thinking and the thoughts that come out of that thinking process. This is why unbelievers in our culture don't see the light in the Scripture and why they seek to silence it. There's a third explanation, and that is unbelievers have been blinded by satanic deception in regards to the truth. Unbelievers have been blinded by satanic deception in regards to the truth. Look at Ephesians 2, just a couple pages back. Ephesians 2, you remember Paul here is describing the regeneration, the new life that we have gotten in Christ. He starts that in verse 4, but in the first three verses of this chapter, he describes what we were before Christ. He describes what every unbeliever is still. Notice how he describes it, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and in those trespasses and sins you formerly walked. But notice you walk, that is your lifestyle, your patterns of living were, notice this expression, according to the course 
of this world. According to the course of this world. Literally according to the age of this cosmos. The word for course is the Greek word ion. It refers to the spirit of the age, the worldview of our time. You see, every age, every period of time, every generation is dominated by certain ideas. Certainly ours is. And the New Testament says Satan controls the ion. He controls the mindset of the age, the worldview that dominates the age. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's called the God of this ion, this age. The devil and his demons establish and control the worldview or zeitgeist of every generation throughout history. They control this generation's worldview and zeitgeist. How do they do it? They do it through the world system they've created and through the influence of individual unbelievers who are children of Satan, who are controlled by his values and his desires. So understand this, all unbelievers, every unbeliever, is controlled, is enslaved to the mindset of the age, and they are therefore blind to the truth. That's what was true of you. That's what's true of every unbeliever. There's a fourth explanation for this blindness to Scripture, this, this desire to silence the Scripture, and it's more personal. Unbelievers are guilty of their own sinful suppression of the truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's not just a few bad people. That's all unbelievers. And specifically here, it's pagans who see creation and suppress what they learn about God from creation and just deny it and go on to worship idols. Therefore, God gives them over to their sin. Verse 32 says not only do they suppress what they see in creation, they also suppress what they see in conscience. Because verse 32 says, although they know the ordinance of God, and these, by the way, are people who don't have the Bible. These are pagans. They know the ordinance of God. Chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says that's because of the substance of the law written on every heart. They know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. So, do you understand? I mean... When you consider those foundational spiritual issues, it's no surprise that the people around us are opposed to the Scripture and desperately desire to silence it. Now, because they have rejected God's Word for these reasons, their moral discernment about everything is completely dark and twisted. They don't get anything right. That brings us to a third insight. The biblical correction. What is the truth? We need to know what's wrong in our culture. But here's something that we as believers can celebrate. We can celebrate the truth because of what God has done in our hearts. We need to come back to what does the Bible say? What truths in light of our, our culture's desire to silence the Scripture, what truths do we need to believe and hold fast to? 
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Trending Versus Truth. Tom will have part four for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, can a believer get caught up in the spirit of the times and ignore the importance of Scripture in their own life? That is such a real danger. It's a danger in every culture, but I think it's especially a danger in a culture like ours that is so driven. Our knowledge of the world is so driven by social media and by platforms like that. I think we can begin to unintentionally rely on human authority over biblical authority. And so that's what we want to look at next time together as we consider the ultimate authority for all things for the believer is the word of Christ to us in his word. That's what we'll discover next time here on The Word Unleashed. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.